0: Are you ready? Hey guys, come on, bring it in. Welcome back to the podcast dedicated to the most precious human pastime. I sit down with friends, idols, and inspirations of mine to shoot the breeze about music, life, family,
1: food, whatever. I'm Greg Reporter, and this is The Hang. It's interesting because I never thought that artists weren't supposed to do that. (laughs) I never got the memo. And honestly, it's because of the artists that I looked up to were willing to speak out. John Legend isn't just an incredible singer or a Hollywood superstar. He's an inspiration. It was a great time to be friends with the leader of the free world because it gave me some opportunities to be in some rarefied spaces that uh, I never dreamed of being in when I was a kid. It was pretty
0: cool. And one of the kindest souls I've ever had the pleasure of hanging with. Are you in heaven right now? There's nothing but a white
1: background. uh, (laughs) I'm I'm in my daughter's bedroom. (laughs) So we've all been doing this quite a lot these days. I didn't know how to do any of this nine months ago. (laughs) Trust me. You won't want to miss a word. All right, let's do it.
0: John Legend. Gregory. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. My pleasure. Good to see you. Do you remember when we first met or or the only time
1: we met? I remember us meeting backstage. Uh, You're about to sing with Lettucey. Yeah, and Quincy uh, Jones.
0: Yeah, Quincy Jones' 85th birthday.
1: BT. Yes, boy. absolutely. And uh I know you did that uh project. What did y'all do together? Who, me you, and see. Yeah, yeah. What was we that? Did Everything Song? must change on that show. Oh, uh, I was I was backstage just like going crazy because y'all were killing it. <laughs> and uh it was like it was a beautiful moment. Yeah, all right on, man. Thank you. Uh and and yeah.
0: I mean, we don't need to, to, to talk about your core career because it's just bam. It's just so beautiful, so there and so important. Thank you. Thank you. And it's been, um, it's been a, uh, the things that you do, the person that you are has been really Thank to you. see. But uh, for me, the roots and the beginnings of someone's, uh, genius, speciality, uh, grace, where does that come from?
1: Well, it started for me in the church. Um, it started for me um, with a family full of musicians and people who love uh, love Jesus and love music. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, my grandfather was our pastor. My uh, uncle took over for him uh, when he retired. My grandmother was our church organist uh, until she passed away. And then my mother was our choir director. My dad played the drums and sang in the choir. And uh, we grew up in the Pentecostal church. And anyone who knows anything about the Pentecostal church knows how important music is to the service, how much energy it provides to the service. And so I was raised, uh, steeped in that music and that culture. I wouldn't be an artist today, I think, if it weren't for that. That upbringing in the church and being surrounded by so many musicians and people who loved making music and and making a joyful noise, as they would say. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I, I, I grew up in a,
0: a Church of God in Christ. Uh huh. So same holiness church. Exactly. It's safe to say that you know, even if it was your your, your grandfather who was the
1: pastor. Uh, you're you you're still a, a PK. You're still oh a yeah, PK. I qualify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then my dad, my dad also ministered as well, so uh, okay. I was directly a PK. And then and then his brothers. So all the the grandparent and my uncle were on my mom's side, but he, my dad also has a brother who's a pastor as well, uh, who yeah. pastors in Cincinnati. He's a bishop now, and so uh, yeah, it's it's all throughout the family. Uh, yeah. It was such a huge part of our upbringing and our musical upbringing. Same thing. Same thing here. Same thing here. And when I first heard your voice,
0: I said, you know, there's a a certain thing that happens in music. It's almost like um, there's a thing that can happen in jazz as well. Mm -hmm. Somebody sings behind the beat or does certain things that are only developed in a certain place. Mm -hmm. And only those who know can hear it. Yeah. And so there's a thing in your voice. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I know, I know exactly where that came from.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the first time that I heard you, I was walking, I was walking down the street in, uh, I was living in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, and um, I can't, I don't know if I was walking with headphones or somebody was blasting out 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 there with car window, ordinary, ordinary people. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I kind of stopped in my tracks because. I was kind of of the belief that like simplicity of sound and just a soaring voice that era has passed. Mm -hmm. And so I said to myself, you know, this is how I like to present my music. I I love, you know, single instrument and my voice. I love doing that. And I said, there's no way that I'll ever be able to get on the radio. Mm. And here you come blasting out of somebody's car. And I was like, there's ordinary people. I was like, okay, I got to get a hold of that. So I listened, <laughs> and I was like, I know exactly where this brother is coming from. I, I, yes. I, I'd be willing to, to put some money down that he came out of. He came out of the church, and and it's so mm-hmm. evident. Yeah, and it was encouraging because at that time I didn't have a thing going on. I had done some, you know, few cool gigs, a couple of things with, one yeah. my but I hadn't made my own record, and I hadn't. I hadn't had that big push. And I swear to God, every, every time I go to sit down with um, record executives, I would bring you up.
1: (laughs) 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 It's crazy because you say that, but then I was doing that about other artists uh, when I was trying to get a record deal too. And I think we never know who we're affecting by what we're creating and what kind of inspiration that we're providing, and you're doing the same thing for somebody else now, and yeah. um, and I think all of us have those inspirations that show us what's possible. That um, you know that we're not crazy that we, we we're trying to make this kind of music or that we're trying to do this kind of thing. They're showing us that that we could do this, and um, that doesn't mean we're going to be exactly like that artist. Uh, uh, we're going to have our own thing. But yeah. just having those examples of inspiration, of success, um, it's helpful. It's helpful yeah. on the business side, like you're talking about when you go talk to these folks. But also just it lets you know that you're on the right track as an artist. And I think that's a good feeling to feel.
0: Yeah. I was, as as a as a jazz artist, um, there were so many as a jazz artist who had a kind of flexible and, and versatile voice that. Uh, I could sing R and B, soul music, uh, gospel. They they were trying to push me in the ways that maybe would be the most, the biggest bang for the buck, I guess. Yeah. And so I was like, well, wait a minute, you guys. I mean, we don't have to come with a, you know, right out of the bat with this electrified thing. Right out of the bat with this, you know, big thing where I got dancers and all this kind of thing. Uh-huh. I said, <laughs> I said it, we it, could, I said we could use some of my songs. And it's it's still in the jazz tradition, black soul music tradition. Let's try yeah. that route. Yeah, and I had to fight for it. So you were one of my soldiers in that, um, whether you know it or not, um, because because of the success of that song. Yeah. So thank you for that.
1: Well, it's, it's so interesting. I don't know what what your other influences were and I don't even know how old you are, but <laughs> I, yeah. you know, so I, I was born in 78. I grew up in the 80s and 90s and, uh, you know, I was going to high school in the early 90s and college in the late 90s. And there was so much cool music being made, you know, it was like a lot of the neo soul era was during that time, the 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 soulful hip hop era um, with People like Tribe and 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 you know other groups that were incorporating jazz and soul into their into their beats. Um, a lot of that was happening when I was in high school and college, and um, it was showing me the way that. We, and Lauryn Hill's album come out in ninety eight, and and Badu Erica Badu was around that yeah. that around that time as well. So a lot Man. of these artists were showing me the the kind of music that I wanted to make, the music that that kind of connected with who I was and, and made me feel like, you know, it was helping me shape what I wanted to say in the world and how I wanted to say it. And I think every artist has those artists that come before them that help show them, you know, here's a way for me to do this and to do this successfully. And, and these are my examples of people that are able to do that. Mm-hmm. In, in addition to, uh,
0: you know, gospel music, that was happening in the house. Was Mm -hmm. there any, I mean, you know, the influences of Marvin Gaye and Curtis Mayfield
1: can be be heard in your Mm -hmm. approach. Is that music happening as well? So it was happening by the time I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, but I would say it wasn't listened to very much when I was a kid because we were like serious holiness folks where secular music wasn't even allowed to be played in the house, and to combine that with the fact that I uh, was homeschooled for uh, grade school and didn't even go to school with other kids until I was 12 years old, so that first that first 12 years was really no secular music at all, uh, unless I was sneaking it on the radio somehow. <laughs> but um, but I was truly like gospel only Man. during that time. So Man. the transgressive music in my house at that time was gospel artists that sounded like they could have been R&B artists. <laughs> <laughs> Turn that foolishness where, off. <laughs> where, where, if you, where if you just change one, one lyric, it, it, would have been a, it would have been an R&B, R&B <laughs> song. <laughs> that was transgressive in my house at the time. <laughs> uh, but you no, know, I'm thinking of you. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> exactly. So by the time um, I got a little older, my parents got divorced. So that was one. Once I get divorced, things start loosening up. Uh, my dad was a my dad was a single parent, and uh, we were all living with him. And I think everything just kind of relaxed a bit as we were getting older. And also, my parents got divorced. So I think everything was like, okay, we'll. We'll relax the restrictions. And so by the time I got to high school, I'm listening to whatever else my friends are listening to. Uh, and so a lot of that during that time was a lot of New Jack Swing era, R&B, mm-hmm. some hip hop. I, I didn't really listen to a lot of hip hop until college uh, when I went to Philadelphia and all of my friends were very into hip hop. And I started getting into the more soulful hip hop yeah. Um, but I, I never, so was it, like yeah, exactly. Tribe, uh, the Fugees, you know, different stuff yep. like that, uh, Arrested Development, all of that. Um, whereas when I was a little younger, hip hop was just a little too much for me. But by the time I got a little older, I, I, I came to really appreciate it and then start to incorporate some of those sounds into my music as well. Uh, but in high school, it was a lot of the boy groups, you know, the, the male quartets, the, uh, Boys to Men's, the uh Jodeci's, the yeah. I loved uh In Vogue, I loved uh SWV, I loved um, <laughs> you know, a lot of those, those Powerhouse Singers. Yeah, Powerhouse Singers. A lot of them grew up in the church too, but yep. they all they were doing kind of like a new jack swing kind of uh production style. And that's what was hot for us when we were growing up in Ohio, like 91, 92, 93, that time period. Uh that kind of stuff was hot.
0: Mm hmm. -hmm. Yeah, I was in I was in college at San Diego State during that time. And Mm -hmm. I just just even even mentioning those names Mm -hmm. brings back certain feelings, certain sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cross color jeans. That may be before your time.
1: (laughs) No, cross colors. Yes, we had. I I had both real and fake cross color.
0: (laughs) All mine was fake, you know, (laughs) that's really cool. You did a uh, you did a record. With the roots,
1: yeah, and you pulled this song selection. Who chose the songs for that record? It was me and Quest. We would just sit there. Uh, so we're just sitting in the studio playing records. Uh, so Amir, you know his record collection is is vast, uh, vast, uh, encyclopedic knowledge of of music, and he and I would just sit and talk about the songs we wanted to do. And he would just be like, what about this one? What do you think about this one? What about this one? <laughs> and we just sat there. And by the time we were done, we we're like, OK, here's our list of songs we're going to try to cover. There's a couple that didn't make the album. But, you know, we just started recording them and seeing what it, what we could do with them. A couple of them, it's interesting, they kind of took on a life of their own as we kept playing it live. Almost like a jazz uh, artist would do, where yeah. you you workshop it live a lot more before you record it. Particularly with uh, I Can't Write Left Hand It.
0: We yeah.
1: had started to go out and play it before we did the final version. We had a version, and then the live version we were doing was so good that we were like, uh, we got to go back into the studio and re record <laughs> the uh studio version to try to capture some of that magic. And we did that with a couple of the songs, but um, it was such a beautiful experience making that record with them. Um, still one of the heights of my musical life you know just certain things where you feel like everything just comes together and you're in your zone musically and you're doing what you're supposed to do on this earth it just feels like it's all it's all there and that's what i felt like when i was making that album
0: the messaging in in those songs
1: yeah
0: is i think maybe maybe the one of the most singular period that you guys are drawing from that's that 70s soul kind of thing Mm -hmm. that period of music is what I look to, and, and I yeah. feel, you know, you're an archetype of because it's uh, it's this real stories, positive trajectory of the music is is upwards. What am I going to listen to that's going to make me better? And <laughs> and this this is what that music yeah. is. And so when I when I first when I heard of the record, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm, I, you know, geez, I, I was like, man, what is this going to be? Because it's just all good, right? And then when I heard the record, I was like, that's it. That's it. That's it right there. I mean, this is, it's the concentration of the Black American experience in music. And you guys did a yeah. beautiful job with that because you drew from jazz, you know, soul.
1: And the gospel reggae. is always out there in your voice. And the blues is there. We did a reggae song, too, called uh, Humanity, yeah. uh, which I... It's funny, I looked at my Spotify because sometimes I'll look and see what the most popular song on a, a yeah. certain album is. And Humanity is one of the most popular songs aside from the ones that we promoted. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently, a lot of reggae fans really uh, love our version of that song. And it, it was one of the most fun songs to perform live, too. It's just an enjoyable, fun, soulful song to play live. But the yeah. one that really stood out the most was I can't write left handed, the Bill Withers yeah. song. And I gotta tell you the story about what happened after we recorded that. Uh when the album came out, Bill Withers got a call from Bill Russell. And you know, anybody who doesn't know who Bill Russell is, he's a legendary basketball player. <laughs> uh played for the Boston Celtics and uh And he, you know, one of the most successful basketball players in the history of basketball when it comes to winning championships and and his dominance of the game during that time. Yeah. And Bill Russell, he's a friend of Bill Withers. and, And Bill Withers didn't know our album was out. He didn't know that we did one of his songs. Bill Russell called him up. He hadn't spoken to him in a long time. And he told him, you know, John Legend and The Roots did a really good version of your song and you should check it out. And he watched the YouTube clip of us doing it, and he proceeded to write me an email. Bill Withers wrote me an email, and anyone who knows him knows he he's very he's a great storyteller and he's a great <laughs> prose writer. Like he'll if you if you just let him speak, he has so many stories to tell, yeah. and he does it in a way that's very uniquely him and has such uh, such a. He has wit and a voice, you know, like a distinct voice as a storyteller. And um, so he proceeded to write an email to my manager because he didn't have my information. And my manager was like, you're going to die when you read this. And he passed (laughs) it on to me. And he was just telling me how much he loved that we covered his song and that we did such a beautiful job on it. And then we became friends after that. He would, you know, uh, we would email each other. He would come to my shows whenever we played in L.A., and wow. it was just one of the most memorable aspects of making that album was just meeting him and becoming friends with him because he heard about the song from Bill Russell. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an amazing, amazing
0: story. Extraordinary, a gift that he was musically. and yeah. And just the jewels, he's dropping on artists, you know, after his career in a way, his performing career is over is really precious. Yeah. I had the opportunity to perform for him at a, a tribute show at uh, Carnegie Hall. And just the fact that he might know my music or, or yeah. you know, just call me by first name was just, it just does a lot because of who he is. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, Gregory, yeah. But I, he, he said, Gregory, I, you know, why don't you stop stealing from me? You know, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he hears, he hears uh, maybe some influence, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so that that's that was the way our
1: conversation started. It was just the sweetest, the sweetest thing. He was always funny and witty, and yeah. uh, and he was always aware of what was going on in music, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it it was very cool to spend time with him.
0: Yeah, one thing that that well, he, he was extraordinary. It's subtly and sometimes less so subtle about bringing politics into the music, Mm -hmm. saying who he is politically in the music. We're going to miss that. I worry about some of the great masters in this time of where we're all separated and all segregated, Mm -hmm. uh, slipping away into the night. He passed away and the type of, respect and love I think it's is, is he, he I don't know if if he received enough because of no, the, you know, the
1: time he didn't receive enough because we we normally would have a celebration of his music we doing an event we would do so much for him and yeah. it happened during this pandemic and we weren't able to do it and uh it is a shame because uh there are a lot of families obviously they're going through that same experience but uh yeah. it is always important for us to celebrate our legends our icons and in, in music and we're usually able to do that musically and and do it together in the same yeah. room and uh, we weren't able to do that for him so in that respect it's an empty feeling and so i
0: i find myself listening to his his records in some way that's connected to to my family my brother my brother passed away from covid
1: mm, at the first
0: crazy round that was happening mm-hmm. in, in, in New York. He lived in yeah. Brooklyn. It wasn't sudden. He was in the hospital for a long time. But when he died, it's just, and he's gone. I, yeah. I, I, I can't touch him. I can't honor him. I can't, you know, I sang to him when he had already passed through video. Mm. So the, the opportunity to properly close that chapter of a great life Causes me some angst, and I wonder. I, I feel like the inability to honor people properly can do several things. That pent-up energy can find its way and be released artistically. Mm. And I feel both with with in a personal way for my brother. It it'll find its way out, and I yeah. think for Bill Withers as well. The celebration of him has got to be has got to be made. Uh, if it if it doesn't happen on television in the next two years who knows yeah it should happen without question some way in people's music you know the celebration of him
1: yeah maybe you know i have some influence with the grammys <laughs> so yeah. uh maybe i'll i need to talk to harvey about that uh, and uh, yeah. see if we can get that happening because it, he deserves it and I'm, yeah. i would have, have to look back and see who else passed away this year but i feel like of all the artists that passed away i can't think of one who is more influential than he was so yeah uh Hopefully we can do something to honor him there.
0: Yeah.
1: Hey, guys. You're listening to The Hang.
0: Hit subscribe or follow on your podcast thingamajig of choice to get every episode of The Hang fresh off the presses. Back to that, that uh, question, politics and music. Yeah. You haven't been, you haven't been shy about expressing yourself uh, politically, even in the context of, of making a song that even really isn't talking about politics. You're just like, oh, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's some stuff going on around the corner that ain't right. <laughs> exactly. That is dope and that's uh, that's another thing that's in- inspiring other artists of the same caliber and younger artists younger artists as well less established artists because i mean the suggestion that that you know just keep everything cool and don't rock the boat is kind of the um the story that you get out of the blocks and what it is that you're doing is letting people know that it's all part of me this is you getting a whole person here yeah you are getting a whole Person, And that comes with my experience. It comes with my blackness. It comes with my politics, my desire for equality, and my desire yeah. for uh, mutual respect. And so that's going to come out in both the interview and, and the music. Let's speak on that. Where does the,
1: the boldness and the confidence and, and where, where does that come from? It's interesting because I I never thought that artists weren't supposed to do that. (laughs) I never got the memo. I never got the memo that we weren't supposed to. And and honestly, it's because of the artists that I uh, looked up to. So many of them uh, were willing to speak out. A lot of them were the soul artists that we covered, uh, you know, on the Wake Up album. But you think about people like Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield, so many of our most successful. It wasn't just you know, they weren't just doing this and not succeeding. They were winning and doing this. Um, Nina Simone, um, so many brilliant artists spoke out about what was going on in their day. A lot of it during that time was the civil rights struggle, but also it was the uh, Vietnam War. um, And so many of our greatest artists contributed to the canon with music that spoke directly to what was happening. And even if they weren't making a lot of political music, some of them, some of them like Aretha Franklin were donating, marching, you know, helping in some other way, uh, supporting. So I always felt like that's part of my job description is, uh, is to be that kind of person. And it was always in me. I wrote an essay when I was 15 years old for McDonald's. They had a Black History Month essay competition. And uh, the the prompt for the essay was just how do you plan to make Black History, and whoever won would get a five hundred dollar scholarship or something, and mm-hmm. and I uh, and uh, get get their essay published in the paper, and and I won the local area competition, and in the essay all I said was uh, you know I talked about what was going on in my community and how I want to make things better, but uh, eventually I said I plan to make history by becoming a successful artist, musician, and using my platform to uh, give back to my community and fight for justice and equality for my community. And so Uh from the age of 15, at least, probably before then, uh, because it had to be already in my head for me to write it when I was 15, I knew that that was part of what I wanted to do in my life was to make music and to also make a difference on a broader level. And use this platform, use the success to, to do that. And I had no idea what even getting a record deal meant at that time. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what went into it. I didn't know, uh, you know, all the ins and outs of the business. But I knew that I believed that that was in my future and that I was going to use that platform to try to make change.
0: Yeah. And, and so it's great to see you, whether it's... Uh, you know, in a in a concert with the politicians of the day, um, mm-hmm. President Elect Joe Biden mm-hmm. and Vice President Elect Miss <laughs> mm-hmm. Harris. It's it's um it's awesome to see you put that forward like that. And 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 you know, it's just this is such a crazy time. There's been s- this new overt disrespect towards people of color. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like in my lifetime, during this time, I think we should absolutely speak out and use our voices and use our pen to say something. Mm-hmm. And when I go into the studio to make a record, I cannot get away from who I am as a man. Yeah. Uh, and And I just so happen to be Black man, so I must speak on the things and the places from which I come. Mm -hmm. I am an American, I'm absolutely patriotic, Mm -hmm. but my patriotism has this kind of interesting twist to it. Mm -hmm. I look at the flag and I feel like part of that fabric and that cotton that's been picked to make that flag comes from a place, it comes from a people. Mm -hmm. And so That's how my patriotism is. I say I know the sacrifice uh, that was made in order for me to be here, in order for that, even for that flag to be there. I know where that cotton came from.
1: Yeah. And and we've believed in democracy more than any other people has lived in this country because we've had to been we've always had to be the ones who had to fight for it when other people would fight for it. And because we fought for it, we made it more possible for women to get it, for other people of color to have access to democracy. The fact that we were willing to uh, fight so hard to save our democracy has redounded to our own benefits, but it's also redounded to the entire nation's benefit. And so our patriotism should never be questioned uh, because because we've been the the require greatest defenders you. yes we've been the greatest defenders of this democracy because we've yeah. been forced to yeah require you to be who you say you are yes absolutely yeah. we hold the mirror up to the country <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah yeah so at the point at which we we now have uh, a president who who acts like he's going to refuse to leave the white house mm-hmm. to have him play with democracy in the way that he does to play with it, I, 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 I hold offense to to playing with something that you know that people have died for um, for his own aggrandizement, and so it 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 um is heartbreaking in a in a special way, and I, and I'm just in terms of what's happening uh, right now, the idea of not recognizing something that you know, John Lewis fought his whole life for, not recognizing the vote. How do you feel about it?
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned John Lewis. Uh, It's interesting you mentioned John Lewis because he said democracy isn't a state, it's an act. Uh, So it's something that we have to actively maintain. Uh, It doesn't just exist. It's something that has to be maintained. It's maintained by us voting. It's maintained by us defending our own right to vote and other people's right to vote. Is, is, is maintained by us defending the institutions that serve as checks on authoritarian power. And all of those things have been under threat by Donald Trump. And, you know, I think sometimes because he's such an idiot, sometimes uh, people don't take his threat seriously. And and I think there's some merit to that view because. I don't think he'll be able to accomplish the things he's trying to accomplish now, even with the the uh, trying to sue his way into winning reelection and all those things. I think he's going to lose because he doesn't have a case. But just think if the election was just a little bit closer, if uh, those margins in Pennsylvania weren't, you know, 50,000 and they were more like 500, if those margins in Arizona were weren't, you know, 15,000, they were more like 150. Uh, I think we would be in serious Trouble as a as a nation, if Donald Trump thought he could sue his way into winning re-election. Uh, fortunately, I think the margins are big enough in enough states where I think it's not going to work. But we have to be fully aware that what he is attempting to do is a, a coup, is a, a direct uh, you know rejection of what the people uh, wanted in this election. And if we are able to countenance that, if we're able to say this is okay or this is within the norms of uh, of our everyday politics, and if we get used to that, um, we're in real trouble. And our nation's never been perfect, but uh, this would be a backwards leap uh, toward uh, authoritarianism and away from democracy.
0: Yeah. Well, quite frankly, I think we have already taken a step back because I'm at the same time, without question, glad that that Joe Biden was able to win the presidency. I am disheartened that after four years, really five years, six years, really Mm -hmm. a lifetime of watching Donald Trump and seeing his uh, divisiveness, uh, bigotry, misogyny, uh, lies.
1: 70 million people said, "Yeah, that's acceptable. Let's give him another four years. I'm just saying. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine (laughs) seeing?
0: Hold hold on, John. (laughs) Listen, can you imagine if Barack Obama said, I'm not going to listen to what the voters, uh, you know what? I want a third term. I'm going to just stay up in this house and sue my way into another term. What are y'all going to do? (laughs) <laughs> right, right now, there would be 100,000 people with guns standing at the front of the White House.
1: Yeah, it would be places. a civil war. It would be a civil war. It would be a civil war. Now, he's
0: threatening the same thing. Yeah. And and we're just supposed to just be like, hmm, well, <laughs> uh, that's just Donald. It it, it it breaks my heart that there's 70 million people that think that that's a, acceptable to play with democracy this way. It's not
1: acceptable. Yeah, and, um, and I think what is, has become... Clear is that uh, the Republican Party has a base of people who believe that their loyalty to the party, their identity, their whiteness, uh, overwhelms any other consideration, overwhelms any sense of uh, preservation of democracy. Any, any sense of doing what's right for the country any sense of having a leader who can deal with a pandemic uh in, in any kind of strategic wise way like he's been utterly terrible you know if you would have said that a year ago you could make an argument that okay the economy's doing fine he's an asshole but the economy's doing fine you could have had that argument and i think honestly he might have gotten reelected because most presidents get reelected it's almost a given that they will unless something's going terribly wrong yeah. so uh the economy was fine he 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 was a terrible person and had authoritarian tendencies but uh there's a lot of people that were just fine with the way things were and you could see him getting reelected but after this year after the loss that you've experienced after the loss my family's experience after the loss that so many Americans have experienced after the utter incompetence, the utter failure to listen to reason and science and and all the things that would help us get out of this pandemic. After all of that, to still say, Yeah, four more years, because this is going great. I'm like, <laughs> I I don't I don't understand it. And and to be clear, I don't want us to be despondent too much because he did, when all the votes are counted, he's gonna have lost by. Five, six million votes, you know. Yeah. So so it's not that close. But yeah. the fact that that we were even worried for several days uh, as we were <laughs> counting these votes, like <laughs> it, it it does scare you. And it lets you know that uh, the nation really is uh, polarized and certain folks are just going to vote for their team no matter what. And we're mm-hmm. fighting over one turnout, making sure our team turns out. And then, two, there's a few persuadables in the middle. And we're going to try to swing them over to our side. And I think that's essentially what happened. We turned out Mm. in overwhelming numbers. And we also got uh, some of those folks that are in the middle that uh, may have leaned Republican before, but just couldn't stomach giving him another turn. And that means we won by a significant amount and we beat an incumbent. So we shouldn't, you know, be too despondent about that result. But there's still that 70 million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's still that 70 million that said, hey, yeah, sign me up. I want four more years of that. And it's like, how is that possible?
0: Yeah. yeah. How many times have you performed at the White House?
1: Uh, Let's see. Probably three or four. But also performed at the inauguration. A uh, big event outside, uh, you know, in, on the mall uh, uh-huh. in front of the Lincoln Memorial. So, uh, but then... What I loved about the Obama administration, they uh, did those kind of periodic celebrations of different important American music. So we had uh, a Motown night at the White House. Yeah, that was uh, amazing. And uh, I got to do, you know, heard it through the grapevine and and uh, some Temptation stuff. And uh, yeah. that was fun. And then I have performed at Michelle Obama's uh, 50th birthday and one or two more times. Oh, I performed at the state dinner that they had for the... Uh, for the British Prime Minister, uh, okay. Cameron at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, it was it was a great time to be an artist and and to be friends with the leader of the free world because it gave me some opportunities to to be in some rarefied spaces that uh, I never dreamed of being in when I was a kid. Uh, right, you cool. know
0: the, the, this biblical um, this saying that uh, your gift will will take you to high places and and you'll be at the table. Of kings uh, is, is has been absolutely you know true for yourself, um, and it's, it's 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 hard to imagine such things as a young person. And I looked at your your bio, and you went to university for English and African yeah. American
1: studies. Yes, I majored in English with the concentration in African American literature and culture, and so that uh, really. It just exposed me to so many great authors, uh, so many great poets, so many great thinkers about um, Black life in America. And uh, I think it's informed my politics. It's informed the way I write, uh, informed so much about who I am. But I didn't major in music. I, I almost minored in music. This is my
0: confusion. I'm like, <laughs> with all that skill yeah.
1: and, and yeah. knowing who you are
0: right now, um, yeah. <laughs> it would have seemed natural. Funny thing is I didn't major in, in music in music as well. I didn't go to a <laughs> what'd you major program. in? I'm city planning.
1: Um, I'm, oh wow, well. <laughs> right. it's funny that you said that because I have a very deep interest, or very like I'm very interested in yeah. city government and yeah. um how how cities are laid out. It, I think about segregation and gentrification and all these other things. This was intrigued me. Yeah. Initially. <laughs> so I, I'm, how- I'm like, I'm right with you in the, in the, in the fact that we're interested in those things. I didn't study as much as you did, but, uh, but it's certainly one of the things I like, honestly think about quite a bit more than you would think I do. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's really something. So music wasn't,
0: your study. A- absolutely. It has informed what you did study has informed you as a person, as a man, and mm-hmm. it has informed your your writing. But it's so interesting that maybe you didn't. Th- what, what was your thought at the time? You know, checking the box for for some, you know, desired uh, uh, thing to study. Were you thinking mm, music is a long shot or I don't need it or I what was what was your thoughts?
1: It was a combination because one, I, you know, everyone says have a fallback plan. And and I I was thinking that, you know, I'm going to an Ivy League school and uh, most of my friends are going to go work in the corporate world or do whatever. And so I'm always thinking, well, music might not work out. So let's make sure I have other ideas for what I could do. So part of me was thinking I would end up going to law school because I do care a lot about politics and the law and justice and all these things. And so I could see myself going into law school and working in government or working in a nonprofit or being a a full time lawyer. Uh, Whatever the case, I could have seen that being a path that I took. But I also thought that even if I do go into music, it's not like I need to go to college for music to do the kind of music I want to do. Um, and so I never thought that the path to being a successful, you know, R&B soul pop singer that, you know, having a bachelor's in music was a requirement mm-hmm. uh, and, and even possibly it might have been an impediment in some ways because it's, it's like time you, you might you might go too far in that direction of academic uh, study And that's not really the key to success in our business, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I just didn't feel like I needed a college music education. And mind you, by that point, I had been taking piano lessons since I was four. Off and on, I could read music. I had a decent understanding of theory and harmonics and all these other Mm -hmm. things. And I had been directing my church choir since I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. I had been arranging for an acapella group in college. You could teach, you could teach at the university if you, (laughs) well, I don't know if I could teach, but I had what, well beyond the required knowledge to do what I wanted to do in music. Yeah. Um, And I didn't feel like majoring in music was going to, to advance my goal, advance me toward my goal Mm -hmm. uh, of what I wanted to do in music.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, whatever the combination, Mm -hmm. whether it be, 20 years sitting in the church pews uh-huh. and, 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 and uh, a few years of study in, in English. It, it's, it's created something something beautiful in you and your writing and your uh, expression. You. And all of the, I call it the diaspora of Black music, uh, yeah. jazz, soul, blues, and gospel that come out of you is really something. Music and family Music and family. I think of my pains and my joys are inescapable when I go to write. And I write a song about my son. He's seven. And I'm shocked that I've had this amount of time at my computer because he always takes it over and plays his video (laughs) games. (laughs) Totally destroys my microphone. Of course. You know. (laughs) But I write songs about him. And for him to hear 30 years from now to, to yeah. give him encouragement, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to give him something that he'll have when I'm gone. I probably do that because of my father, who mm. I saw just a few times in my life. Mm. And I even write about my father. My new record has a song called Dad Gone Thing. Mm. The song is, is developed based on me going to his funeral and finding out all these cool things about it. Mm. He was in the military. He was a great cook. But mm. person after person got up on the stage and said, boy, when your daddy would sing. Mm. Boy, when your daddy would sing. I'd never heard him sing in my life. Wow. And he, he lived to be when I was, I was 21 when he passed away. And... I never considered him in my, in my music. I never considered him in my really who I am as a person, even always just gave everything to my mother. And so that's what the song is, is, is coming from. He didn't teach me a dad gone thing, but how to sing. And, oh, man. you know, he didn't give me a thing in life. I don't know how to tie a tie. I can't, I can't put a worm on a hook. I can't do all of those things that, that you think a daddy would teach you my my wow. my even my r's are are big and 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 voluminous like a woman would write a r because my mother taught me everything wow and but being a good father being a good parent can sometimes come out of some difficulty and i follow you on social media but my wife really does. And you Uh incorporate your children into your, into your lives in such a beautiful way. And it's, it's something to be commended. Does how great of a parent you are, uh, it obviously comes from what you come from, but both the good and bad uh, that your parents have given you can find its way into being into your parenting into your you yeah. a good parent and
1: the other way as well. Well, it's interesting because I had it was like the tale of two kind of uh tale of two halves of my childhood. Because the first half, you could look at our family and think it was absolutely perfect, and it was it was it was experienced in my life as a really healthy upbringing. My parents were homeschooling us. They were taking us to church. They were teaching us about character. They were setting a good example. They were, you know, taking in foster kids and helping homeless people. And and it was genuine. It was genuine. It was like they really cared about uh, living their faith in a way that I thought was really exemplary. And it really was a good influence on us being people of character uh, growing up. And then um, I've told this story before, but um, my mother had a very bad reaction to her mother passing away and she got really depressed. She eventually um, developed a drug addiction because she was self-medicating to deal with the grief and uh, it tore our family apart. And so I spent... From ages 12 through uh, early adulthood, almost not even speaking to my mother because she was so far gone and uh, estranged from us as a family. Even though she was living in the same small city with us, we almost never saw her for about a decade. Wow. Um, And so it's interesting having both the foundation of everything being great, everything being healthy and And uh, giving us that uh, moral foundation, I think, that we needed. And then going from that to uh, having a period where we lost our mom. She's back now. She's healthy. She's clean. She's uh, a great grandmother. And uh, we get along great. But that period was really difficult for all of us. And um, I think it makes me think about what my role is as a husband also because thinking about going through grief. Um, Obviously my wife and I just went through grief. uh, That was very deep and painful and we're still going through it. Thank you. Uh, And we're still going through that. uh, But it made me think about how important my role is as a husband in helping my wife get through this uh, grief while also experiencing the grief myself. And it's made me I think all the more um committed to the idea that um understanding that life is going to bring us challenges and sorrow and grief and that part of the commitment we made to each other as a couple was to be there for each other through all of that and I feel like it's strengthened that commitment the challenge that we've faced together the challenges that we faced together uh have, uh, strengthened that commitment. And I think it makes it also even more important for us to be great parents because that's the project we have together that we put the most into. It's like, this is like the, this is the manifestation of our love for each other. These, we see ourselves in these young people, uh, and we're going to try to shape them into great adults, um, by giving them an example of what love means, giving them, giving them an example of what kindness means and character means. And hopefully we're going to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, you're there for them and and guide them and directing them.
0: But in your music, do you feel like you're dropping gems for them
1: also? Yeah, well, I've written songs for them, just like you've written uh, for your son. Uh, They can't appreciate them yet because <laughs> they're because <laughs> they're four and two and I, I and you know the lyrics are probably a little deeper uh yeah. than then is at their comprehension level but uh they're always going to be there that's the great thing about music is uh, yeah. these songs will survive us yeah. and uh and hopefully will um be something our kids can look back at and say my daddy wrote that for me
0: yeah and even just putting the the the, the energy into the in, in, into the universe. I think yeah. it covers them in some way. Yeah. Uh, tell me at this, at this time, what are you, uh,
1: what are you thankful about in your life? I'm thankful for my family. First of all, I, I, um, I love my wife and my kids so much and, uh, they make my life so much more meaningful and, uh, they give me a sense of purpose and, uh, they give me something beautiful to come home to every time I leave to go to work or go on tour. And uh, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that I get to do what I love to do for a living. Um, yeah. Not everyone has that opportunity and I don't take it for granted. I yeah. feel very fortunate that I'm able to do that. Wow. You just you 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 stole the words right out of my mouth and
0: out of my mind. I'm absolutely thankful for my family. In some strange way, I'm thankful for this slowdown that causes me to to concentrate on on being mm-hmm. a dad and 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 teaching my son big words and and you know <laughs> how to stand and hold your head up high. And so, yeah, John, is there anything that you feel from this from this period of time that maybe once we get a vaccination that will carry over into uh, this uh, post uh, COVID uh, life?
1: Well, it's interesting because obviously we've spent a lot more time with our families and I want that to continue. And I think because we've gotten so good at doing these interviews like this and uh, (laughs) and uh, and there's so many technological ways to uh, be in conversation with people without leaving the house. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> we're never going to go back to having to go to a radio studio and do all these other things like we used to do. And I'm just fine with that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I remember, I just got one little story.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I remember, you know how you get in a car and you you drive all around the Midwest going to all these, you know, yeah. radio stations, uh, you know, serious. Yeah. I had to do mine. With um, with rappers, for some yeah. reason they just they're like, okay, you're black and you're black. Let's put you guys in a van together. Oh my god,
1: so, <laughs> y'all are so not I'm playing in, on the I'm same the,
0: station. <laughs> I, I'm in the same van as you know, Little Shotgun, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> and so I get out. They do, uh, they do their interview first, And then I come up to do my interview, and you know, I'm. Talking about jazz and soul music, and the yeah. whole time I'm coughing because the the smell and the bud is still in my <laughs> still in my lungs. <laughs> but anyway, that's oh, the way man. it went down. But yeah, absolutely, uh, working from
1: home and now you can do it from home. <laughs> right,
0: <laughs> right. No. <laughs> wow, what an extraordinary gift um, you are to music, and really to. The world. Thank you so much for having Thank this you. conversation Great, with me. You've been an inspiration, even though you're a few years Thank younger you. than me. You've been an extraordinary <laughs> <laughs> inspiration to me, nonetheless. Thank you for hanging with me, man. It's been really cool.
1: Thank you. Yeah, truly an honor and a, and to know that someone of your skill and your uh, musical astuteness values what I do is is a high compliment, and uh, yeah. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny. Astute is one of
0: those words that I've always loved, but I get it so few and far between. It's funny, <laughs> I was talking to Stevie Wonder yesterday. He, he wished was uh-huh. to wish me a happy birthday. And, oh, um, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and, and, uh, Stevie used that word as well It's like, I praise your your musical astuteness I was like, okay That's funny <laughs> I got
1: it two days in a row <laughs> Two days in a row You'll take it, you'll take it that's, that's, a, that's a good compliment
0: Wow, that was quite something Moving, moving stuff So there it is it was a true honor to have both you and John join us. And I really hope you can join us on the next episode you choose to play. Thank you if you've already told your friends about the show. You know, the best thing about having a podcast is that there is no capacity, everybody is welcome. Until next time, I'm Greg Reporter, and this has been The Hang, a cup and nuzzle production.